If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, today we're going a little bit more serious, talking uh, about a topic that isn't specifically board game design related, but I have a feeling that it relates to a lot of game designers. And today we're talking about bipolarity, uh, talking a little bit about depression, and how you can use game design as a coping mechanism, how game design can maybe help uh, if, if you're struggling, if you're dealing with this type of thing, this type of diagnosis. And we're talking to Morton Monrad Peterson from Automa Factory. Morton, welcome to the show. Thank you, Gabe. Nice to be here again. Yeah, man, really glad to have you here. This is a topic that uh, you and I were chatting about, and, and we were kind of going through all the different possibilities as far as like, do we go, you know, do we talk about solo games? Do we talk about engine builders? You know, all the different normal game design things. And this actually was a topic that came up as something that uh, you feel very strongly about, something that you have struggled with, and that you feel like a lot of people uh, need to know more about, and it kind of needs to be more out there in the open. And I 100% agree. I've got people in my family that, that struggle with this have been diagnosed with bipolar. Uh, and it's, it's something I know a lot of people struggle with and a lot of people that struggle with it probably haven't even been diagnosed. They don't even know. They just, they just deal with it as, as they think this is normal uh, as far as like, this is how they have to deal with life and they haven't even been to the doctor. And so I'm hoping this conversation can enlighten some people about, Hey, maybe this is something that you're dealing with and something you need to um, be assessed and be you know checked out. And it's not, Unfortunately, in the U.S. especially, uh, mental health is not something we talk about much. It's something that kind of gets brushed under the rug, and we don't, you know, like I said, my own family, it's something we don't bring up. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people are really struggling kind of in silence and in isolation, and that is way, way worse than struggling with anything uh, is when you, you know, when you you are dealing with something and you think you're alone. It just makes it so much worse. And so I think this is an important conversation to have. And I, again, really appreciate you being here and willing to, open up and talk about your own uh, journey, your own struggles with some things, and uh, hopefully it's going to help some other people. Uh, but before we get into kind of the, the deeper topic at hand, you came on the show a while back, and so just kind of remind people who you are, how you got into game design, all that kind of thing. Yeah, well, before I get to that, I just want to thank you, Gabe, for for giving me a platform to talk about this, because it's very, very close to my heart. But as to who I am, you said, as I say, I'm, my name is Morten. I run a company called Automa Factory. I'm also an employee of uh, Stone Meyer Games. And I make my living making artificial opponents for board games or solo modes. And it sounds a bit weird to uh, be able to make a living off that. And I'm just as surprised as you are that it's possible. 
but it turns out that it is. And my team and I have made solo modes for all games from Stonemaier games. Scythe, Viticulture, Wingspan, all the others. We have made a solo mode for Glenmore and for Gaia Project and an upcoming one for Terra Mystica. And we also done a couple of expansions. I'm currently working on a game of my own. So that's basically me from a board game point of view. Yeah, definitely. And you've created just some of the best AIs, the best solo modes in the industry. I, I'm pretty sure you've won awards or the games you worked on have won awards. And so you're, you're a guy that's been around a while at this point. And uh, yeah, you've created some really, really cool things. And so, but let's kind of turn to the topic it can, which is kind of board game design adjacent. So when we talk about bipolar and we talk about dealing with bipolarity and, and kind of everything goes with that, what does that mean exactly? You know, feel free to give me kind of the scientific understanding, but then also just the, in, in layman's terms as well, what does that mean? Yeah, well, being bipolar has a, gives you two sides. You have the depressive side and the mania side. So, well, depression is a, it's the downside and mania is the upside. And uh, sometimes then there's a misconception about depression where some people think that it's just being sad or sorrowful on steroids. But to me, it's a qualitative difference because if you're sad or feeling sorrow, then there's an external reason for that. Someone dear to you might have died and you're having a completely natural reaction that should hopefully uh, go away at some point in the future. Um, depression, on the other hand, is a chemical malfunction, malfunction in the brain. And it feels different, at least it does to me. It's a different kind of emotion associated or related to sadness, but definitely not the same. And it's not affected by external factors in the same way as sadness is. It, it comes from inside instead, from this, these chemical malfunctions in your brain. And can be a bit hard to, uh, to describe if you haven't experienced it. Just like uh, if a woman tries to explain to me what this to be pregnant, I'm never going to understand that. Um, and it's hard to understand depression if you haven't felt it. But let me give it a shot. So when I'm down, when I'm in depression, I like to call it that I'm in a, a dark pit. It's just despair, despair, despair. And I have no clue. I don't think anything can ever get better. Um, I feel completely worthless. I'm a lousy dad. I'm the worst husband in the world. I'm just, yeah, generally the worst person in the world. One big embarrassment. Um, and it would be better if I just killed myself. My wife would be happier, my son would be happier. I wouldn't have to feel all these negative emotions, so it'd just be better. Um, so yeah, basically you feel awful. And um, all the emotions I have in this situation just feel like they hurt. And what I can think about is that I feel bad and that I want to have these emotions go away, um, which can be by trying to remove myself from the world, just hoping everybody and 
all will just go away. So don't have to think about anything. I don't have to relate to other people. Um, so I can just remove, reduce the amount of emotion I feel. Um, and on the extreme end, I would like to kill myself just to make those emotions go away. And this can continue for weeks or months um, at a time. So while, while not being all that scientific, I still hope it, it conveys how it is, what it is. Yeah. Well, first of all, Morton, let me tell you that uh, I'm sorry that you, you have those thoughts. I'm sorry that you, you deal with this. Um, I don't, you know, I don't really have words to say. Uh, I remember the first time I, I encountered somebody that was struggling with depression. I think I was, this wasn't the first time my mom, my, my mom and dad both have struggled. They, they, my mom takes medication. My dad needs to, but uh, he, he doesn't. But uh, anyway, that's kind of a long story there. But I remember one of the first times I remember I can think of as far as like dealing with someone outside of my family that I didn't really know who was struggling with depression. It was a professor when I was at Auburn and he was telling me how he just like the thought of getting out of bed in the morning. Like he just, he just can't like, it's just not within him to even roll out of bed and go seize the day. And I remember just not being able to understand that at all. Cause I, I, I know being sad, I understand like having a rough day, having a rough week, having a rough year, but he was talking about even just from physical terms, it wasn't just mental. It wasn't just like emotional. It was also physical that just all these things he was struggling with physically. And I, I just, I could not relate to that really. And so tell me about that side of things as, as, as well, as far as like what you've experienced physically. So you're talking about, you know, just then as far as the things you think about, but tell me the physical side of things as well. Yeah. I'm not as badly hit as uh, the professor in your example, but, uh, but uh, some people are, it's, uh, it's a well-known effect. Uh, but I do know the feeling of not wanting to get out goes a bit back to what I talked about. I want to sit in a corner and not <laughs> relate to anything. Um, my wife can usually see it in, uh, she says, I, I'm not sure about the exact words, but my face freezes a bit. Um, I talk more samey and slowly. Um, but it's fairly limited in my case, uh, the physical effects. Okay, gotcha. And I think that's another thing to point out, though, is that this kind of stuff does affect people in different ways. And so yeah. just because someone doesn't fit neatly into a, a certain box, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, this is a spectrum. It's not just a uh, one-size-fits-all kind of thing. Uh, exactly. Just so people are, are aware, what is your like specific diagnosis? Like, what does the doctor actually say? Uh Bipolarity, uh, bipolar disorder, type two in my case, there are two types. Okay, what are those two types? Yeah, well, they are uh, the, the the type I am. Let's start there. Type two, and the depressive part can be more or less the same for both types. Type two have a bit more depression than type one on average, but the effects are the same in relation to depression. The big difference are in the manias, the ups, um, and one one uh, symptom of of a, a mania is that your self esteem gets inflated. So someone like me uh, with type two might think they are awesome, and uh, type one 
can go really extreme with this inflated sense of self. And uh, this is not a made-up example, but you can literally think you are the second coming of Christ. Um, so this is the level it can get to. Um, luckily, I'm not that <laughs> that type. Um, and I hope I don't offend anyone. I know you're a man of faith, faith so I don't uh, <laughs> hope I don't offend by picking that example. It's just to show how extreme it can get. No, you're you're totally good there. I think people understand that. Good. Yes. Um, some uh, some other uh, symptoms is that you require very little sleep when you're in the one of these manias. Perhaps I should say that. Uh, a mania is a period just like you have a period with a depression then you can have a period with a mania and you can also have them at the same time which is interesting but uh, but let's keep them separate for now um so when i'm in such a phase i quite a little sleep as i said i'm just i'm on a roll i full of energy even though i i don't sleep very much and my mind just races ahead and i get tons of energies and in my own opinion they're just awesome um, and so I can be extremely creative and productive in these periods and if not for this uh, these manias these episodes then I don't think that two of us would have been talking four years ago when I was on the show the first time because then there would have been no Osoma factory um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of my creative work has come because I'm bi- bipolar and wouldn't have come otherwise. So uh, that that's a good side of this, um, but it's uh, it's also dangerous because while you are in this mode, you get way too little sleep and you work yourself too hard, which then means that when you inevitably Get, get out of this phase again, you'll crash and you'll crash hard because your body is overexhausted. Um, you've got way too little sleep. And if there's one thing that's not good for a depression, then it's lack of sleep. Um, so, yeah, so the cost of all this uh, creative energy is a, a hard crash into depression. Um, and the more times you go through the cycle, the worse it gets, the more often you get them. So that there's a price to pay for this. Yeah, and that's got to be absolute hell on your body. Uh, I have a cousin who was diagnosed with bipolar uh, several years ago. And one thing I noticed about her lifestyle is that she would just go and go and go and go and go, and then she would sleep for days. And it was, that was this is before she was diagnosed. And it was so interesting from the outside looking in, just trying to figure out, like, okay, something something's going on. Like, this is not natural or, or healthy, you know, to just stay up for days on end and then sleep for days on end. And so I, th- I think that was one of the main things that, that got her to go, okay, I need to go to the doctor. I need to get myself checked out because this is this is just super unhealthy. Uh, how long in your experience do these episodes last where you kind of go from one to the other? Is it hours, days, months? How, how long do the episodes go? All of the above. Hmm. I, um, yeah, I've been in a depression for months and can be in some form of, of the mania for a couple of months also. After I've started getting medication, the periods tends to be much shorter, um, also more erratic, can come and go, come and go in uh, in very little time. I can be in a 
decent mood one one point and then five minutes later I just want to kill myself. It's uh, quite odd. Yeah, that's got to be super, super difficult to just to manage. Uh, now, as far as the, the cause, is this something you're born with? Is this something that develops over time? Is it multiple different ways? What, what are the causes? Um, you can inherit it, but uh, that's only an, a slightly increased likelihood. It's, it's not a, a death sentence or anything like that if your parents had. Um, but other than that, I don't know what the origin is. I assume it's uh, genetic, and it's it uh, most commonly triggers at around the age of twenty years, and uh, that's also where, right about when it's it triggered for me. And sometimes there can be an external cause that triggers it, and sometimes it just comes. And of course, it can also be sooner or, or later. But the twenty issues. Uh, is the norm from what I'm told. Interesting. Do you know why 20 is the kind of magic age there? Nope. <laughs> Sorry. I, I haven't heard anyone who knew. I, I assume it's something with the development of the brain. Wow, that's super interesting. Do you know of any of the external causes? So if, if it's not genetic, if it's not inherited, what are some of the things that could potentially trigger this? Uh, it's more... Like it's events that can trigger something that's already latent in you. So if something really traumatic happens, it can trigger a bipolarity that was already in you. Yeah, this is something I read about um, several years ago. I was working at an orphanage here in Honduras, and our schedule was just ridiculous. It was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., three weeks on, one day off. And it was a horrendous schedule. And um, anyway, I won't, I won't go any deeper into that organization. Uh, but there was a lady that I worked with who all of a sudden, I say all of a sudden, but anyway, she had a, a mental breakdown. And so I started trying to figure out, well, well why? Because this seemed to be out of nowhere. She seemed to, to be this, this just happy-go-lucky, you know, nice, kind person. And then she, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to try to diagnose anybody. But it seemed like she became bipolar uh, and, and started dealing with a lot of things that you're talking about. And so I started doing research. And one of the things I found was that one of the main triggers of mental health issues is a lack of sleep, a prolonged lack of sleep. And just, you know, going in, in her case, years. Uh, she had been there for years working uh, and had that schedule for years. And so, that, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to assume that that crazy schedule of very little sleep, very little rest, very few days off instigated her mental health issues and disorders. Uh, and so I know that's that's one thing that, that can trigger and so to be mindful of, of that. And, you know, there's so many others, I'm sure, out there. But uh, that's one thing I, I read. And, you know, I we joke and I've got T-shirts to say eat, sleep, play, test, repeat, and, and sleep has been crossed out. You know, it's kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek thing. But um, let me make it very clear on, on this podcast that I value <laughs> sleep a great deal. Uh, I find it to be one of the best things you can do for your creativity. Uh, personally, I, I notice that when I am tired and I'm exhausted, that I'm not creative. Like, I, it's just not in me to do anything creative because my brain is just not in that space. And so I think that's one thing people can, uh, you know, control that they can take, take a better or do a better job of taking care of themselves as far as their diet and their sleep and their exercise. And because I know those things, those things really affect your brain and, and can probably trigger uh, mental illness if you're, if you're not careful. And so have you done any research or reading or anything like that as far as those kinds of things triggering or the lack of those kinds of things triggering any of this? Lack of sleep can, uh, can trigger uh, a depression and make a mania worse. So generally what I've been told is that sleep is the best medicine for uh, depression. 
So I completely agree with what you're saying. That lack of sheep, lack of sheep, <laughs> lack of sleep, um, is very dangerous in relation to uh, to the depression and probably also other mental health issues. Now, one thing I'm kind of curious about, you know, we were—I was asking you before we, we started recording. If I remembered correctly, you're in Denmark, and, and you are right outside uh, Copenhagen. And one thing I saw a video a while back from Malcolm Gladwell, who's just a phenomenal writer and does a ton of research and, and writes these amazing nonfiction books that he does, you know, just a deep dive into these different topics and subtopics. And one thing I saw him do a video on a while back was uh, depression and suicide rates. And he was talking about how when a person is in a society where everyone overall is kind of sad or depression is normal, then surprisingly, the suicide rates are much lower than in a country or an area where happiness is high, that in those areas, suicide rates are much higher. And it's he posited and his research suggested that when you're sad in an area or with a group of people or in a country or whatever that's really happy in general, then it makes you feel even more isolated. It makes you feel even worse because you're around everybody else that's happy and you are sad. And so suicide rates in those countries are, are much higher. Now, being from Denmark, being in from one of the quote unquote happiest countries uh, in the world, do you think that has played into any of this as opposed to someone, you know, from, I don't want to, you know, insert country here that's kind of depression <laughs> rates are much higher and so suicide rates are lower. Does that play into any of this, you think? That's actually a very interesting idea, but I don't know. I don't think we have a particularly high suicide rate in Denmark, but I don't know. I don't, I haven't felt it like an issue to me personally in, with my depression, but yeah, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't really know. Yeah, it was a super interesting video. I'll try to link to it uh, in the show notes. If, if I can go back and, and find it on YouTube, it was really interesting to, to kind of hear his breakdown. And it, in a lot of ways it, it made sense when you're around uh, a bunch of other people who feel a certain way and you don't, it kind of makes you feel extra, not, you know, extra isolated because, you know, you feel like you're the only one and it makes everything so much worse. And so anyway, something to, um, I don't know, something to kind of ponder and, and I feel like needs more conversation. Yeah, it's definitely very interesting. Now, what else? What are, what are some things as far as like, if you're, if you're going to help somebody, somebody's listening to this and they're, they're starting to check the boxes. They're going, yeah, I kind of feel like that. Yeah, I'm dealing with that. Okay, struggling with that. What would you tell them? What are some of the kind of key things that maybe you were dealing with before your diagnosis? Maybe some of the things that kind of pushed you to go to you know see about things, to get tested or, or whatever the process is for, for diagnosing. What are some of those markers that someone listening to this can, can have a, kind of have as like some check boxes to go, okay, maybe I am struggling with this. Maybe it's more than me just feeling sad every now and then. Maybe it's something deeper. What are those things? Well, if you recognize yourself in some of the things I described, uh, when I talked about how, how I feel, then you should definitely go see a doctor. But the, the brief version you could say is that see whether you have these two kinds of phases. The one where you have the euphoria and the one where you're completely down in the dumps. If you do, then you're very likely bipolar. But the first step will of course be see a professional about it. Um, I went to a psychologist for stress issues and she, she then suspected me of bipolarity and sent me to a psychiatr psychiatrist. And so that was the way I 
got my diagnosis. But I don't know how the system is in uh, in the US whether you will have free access to uh, such help. Well, I definitely know it won't be free. Uh, so we, we know that for sure. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely um, people that you can see. Now, as far as a test goes, is there chemicals in the brain that they look for? Is there a certain like way of testing? How do they diagnose this? That's based on the symptoms, like how you're feeling uh, in the extreme. <laughs> Symptom is, the, do you want to kill yourself? Um, can you get out of bed? Like, like you mentioned. Um, whether you have these manias where you have periods where you don't sleep but get a ton of st- stuff done but will also often have a tendency to offend those around you because you're so convinced that you're right about everything and your mind is going so fast that you think the others are slow and boring and you have this uh, you lose your sense of risk so you'll often do some really stupid stuff which can both ruin you financially or ruin your relationships. Um, so that that's also uh, symptoms to look for. <laughs> Not necessarily ruined relationships, but uh, these periods of uh, very high self-esteem then followed by very low self-esteem and up and down. Gotcha. Do you also have a tendency to isolate yourself either from people, uh, relationships, or even from things that you typically enjoy? Is that a is that a normal thing? Yes, definitely. On all counts, just want to get away from everything, everything, anything that requires me to think or feel or anything like that. Um, I think that's also a very common symptom in a depression. Just wanting to uh, to get away, while in the uh, manic phase, you're much more likely to want to be with other people than you normally are. So uh, the depression pulls you away from people, and the mania moves you towards them. But of course, it's a simplification. Everyone is different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're speaking in pretty general, generic terms, but uh, yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully, people understand it. Uh, so I want to switch gears in a second and talk about game design and coping mechanisms and things like that. But before we kind of go down that path, tell me about your experience as far as coping mechanisms other than creativity, other than game design, whether it's medication, whether it's uh, you know, seeing a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist regularly or, or classes you've taken or sleeping a certain number of hours, like anything to that you've done that people have prescribed to deal with these you know, mental health issues. Yeah, I definitely recommend medicine as a, as the best cure for this. I've been taking medicine for some years now and will continue to do so for the rest of my year, uh, my life, I assume. And after that, it's sleep, as we've been talking about. Go to sleep at the same time, all weekdays. In the weekend, you can deviate a little bit, but all, use almost the same. Uh, time to get, go to bed and the t- same time to get up and make sure there's plenty of of, uh, of time to sleep within that interval. And if you get medication, you're likely to get something that helps you sleep, that uh, is both mood stabilizing and makes you sleepy, which means that if you take this before you go to bed and keep a 
a good uh, sleep cycle, then you can very often actually get the sleep you need. So what I do is I go to bed every day at around 10 in the evening and I have my alarm set to 6 o'clock in the morning and the minute the alarm rings, I jump out of bed. So there's no problem with a depression keeping me in bed or me debating with myself, should I just uh, snooze a little bit, snooze again, sleep a little bit more. No, I always get up at the exact same time, uh, just as a matter of habit. I know you, you talk a lot about building habits, and to me, this has been very, one of the very important habits. Just get to bed at the same time, get out of bed at the same time. The more rhythmical your sleep is, the better it is, the more likely it is that you can fall asleep. So I think that's, apart from chemistry, then this is the single most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's basically for anything, uh, especially mental health. But I mean, that, that, that alone will improve your life in almost every other uh, aspect. Have you found as far as like diet or, or being overweight? I know obesity rates are, are being linked to a lot of other issues and mental health issues and physical issues and all that. Have you, have you read or heard anything about that? No, not really. Well, as a, of course, weight can feed into uh, self-esteem issues, which can then feed into depression. But as such, there's not a co uh, correlation between the two that I know of. But some medicine for uh, depression and bipolarity can make you gain weight. I'm normally underweight, but on one particular type of medicine, I gained I think it was 13 kilos in less than a year, which is just unheard of for me. I, I got out of that medicine, but if you if you are on it, then it will be a struggle, and then that can affect your mood, affect your depression. But I don't think otherwise you can do anything by changing your weight. But there are things you can you can do yeah, to cope, and I think some of it is things you have already discussed on your podcast, Gabe, and. Uh, things just I, I, I know I can't remove the depression in myself but I can alter my perspective on the world and that can can feed into the depression to some extent so something as basic as when something annoying sad bad happens then depression is very good at latching onto that and just say oh here's one more thing I can feel bad about but you can uh, you can fight that a little bit by immediately by, by having a habit of immediately thinking about something positive so if you can find something in the situation that's positive or can be something completely different but it's best if it's something from the same situation then you can uh, derail the depression for a little bit it's not a uh, going to save the world for you but it can help a little bit uh, my wife and I have been having our house renovated over the past few months and when we walk around and see uh, the painter has done a bad job on part of the wall then depression can say this is just so awful this is the worst renovation ever and I feel so bad about it and I just want to die because the house is awful so um, if uh, the depression gets its way, that's what will happen with my thoughts. But if I'm fast enough, I can instead think of, well, 
overall the house is so awesome now. I feel so much better living in this house than I did before the renovation. I know it might sound uh, simple and perhaps not possible or just new age thinking or whatever, but it can actually work by uh, not giving the depression more food than absolutely necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that really goes with, with anything. It, it's so easy exactly. to be negative right off the bat. Uh, I, I read a guy one time who was writing about this, kind of not, not specifically depression, but just talking about uh, how we have a tendency to focus on the worst parts and how life gets a lot better when you focus on the best parts. And so instead of having 99 comments that are positive and one negative and focusing on the negative, which we have a very strong tendency to do, that you focus on the 99, that you find the five best comments and you just look at those and go, okay, this this is good stuff. Um, Not that you don't read negative feedback and and learn from it and grow. That's not what I'm talking about. But online, especially, we have a tendency to have very few negative interactions, but then focus almost all of our attention and, and mind processes and resources on those negative ones. And so just kind of flipping your perspective goes a long way. Um, now you mentioned your wife, as, as far as for people on the outside looking in, what can other people do to help to kind of come alongside and to maybe have some empathy, some sympathy and, and support people dealing with bipolar, dealing with depression? What, what can we do? What can other people do to help? I think the one biggest thing you can do is get the person to go to a professional. That's the single most important thing another person can do. If we are dealing with a person that has already been diagnosed, then then that of course changes things a bit. Then it's a good thing to be able to read the bipolar person and tell them when something goes wrong, right? Um, my my wife has started to be able to uh, to see when I'm depressed. Previously, she just saw I was mad at her, <laughs> but just found out that uh, in reality, I'm <laughs> uh, she's just seeing the symptoms of a depression. And when she does that, one thing she sometimes does is say to me, "Go play Onirim." And that's a, a board game that helps me a lot when I'm depressed. Um, so help the person do something that's good for them because a depressed person can't do anything for themselves. They need help. So uh, they are bound to just sit in a corner and feel worse and worse. But if you can gently help them do something else, then do so. And But it, it can be hard to figure out what should be done. But my wife has, then, has now found out a couple of things that I can do. One of these things are playing a few solo games uh, that are good for this. And another is um, to go for a walk with a podcast. So uh, thank you, Gabe, for helping me with my depression <laughs> with your podcast. Um, so uh, trying to learn to read the, the mood of the other person and also not only look for the depression, but also for the manias. We, you can see it on the energy of the person when they start start to feel more energetic than they usually do, when they are more outgoing than they usually do, they might get annoyed with you if you don't follow along with their rapid fire thoughts. And those thoughts might not give, give make any kind of sense to any 
one but themselves. So it can be <laughs> probably be a bit weird to stand there on the outside and have someone get annoyed at you because you don't understand their nonsensical ideas. But if you can spot these manias, then that's also a very good thing because then you can try to help guide the person down again. Try to help keep their focus in the real world and uh, not run rampant with the ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing I usually discourage people from, and, and please tell me if I'm wrong here, help me you know, to, to kind of see things from a different perspective if, if necessary. But one thing I discourage people of whenever someone's going through a hard time, maybe they've lost a loved one or you know, a dream blew up or, or whatever, is I discourage people from trying to fix things, especially with like little words of wisdom. You know, when somebody passes away, you'll have somebody saying, oh, well, they're in a better place. It's like, well, that that doesn't help right now. Like, I'm not like, thank you, I guess, for saying that, but that's, that's not what I need. Uh, I don't want them in a better place. I want them here with us, you know? <laughs> uh, and even if it's true that, you know, they were suffering and now the suffering's over. Yeah, okay. That might be true, but that doesn't help me, you know, deal with this loved one I have that just passed away. And so my encouragement is often just bring them a casserole or go get some Chick-fil-A and bring them a sandwich and just give them your presence. Don't try to fix things, especially with some little cute one-liner, but just be available and just sit there and not say a word or sit there and listen or just send them a text and say, hey, thinking about you, you know, can I can I bring you some ice cream? Like anything like that as far as your presence and not just trying to fix things. Is that would you say that that's something applicable here as well? Yes, I would say so. Uh, with the caveat that that if you know what's good for the person, then try to get them to do it. Um, like I, I mentioned with the onarium and going for a, a walk with a podcast but if you don't know the person well enough to know what tools they have then be nice to them chocolate always helps <laughs> i think that would be a good advice no matter what the situation uh, is um now as far as like helping them to seek out counseling to, to go to a doctor or psychologist psychiatrist have you found that it's difficult to to get people to admit that they have a problem. Uh, I'm reminded of a situation with a family member who it seemed like he had cancer. He was checking all the boxes for something wrong, probably cancer, not just going on WebMD and, you know, no matter what you have, and oh, I have cancer, but like actually having cancer. But he was so afraid to go to the doctor because he was basically afraid that the doctor was going to tell him that he had cancer. And if that was the diagnosis, then all of a sudden it became real. And it was something he was going to have to deal with and probably get chemo and take all sorts of drugs and do, you know, it, and it was so interesting from the outside looking in going, would you, would you just go to the doctor? But he didn't, he didn't want to, because then it would make it actual. It would make it, you know, real world real. Have you found that to be the case with this kind of stuff as well, where, where people are hesitant to go because they don't want to know definitively one way or the other, that's kind of hard to admit that they're dealing with this stuff. I definitely know it from myself. And it's, I needed quite a bit of pushing to uh, to get help. And with bipolarity, when you have the manias, then you're so awesome that of course you don't need help. Um, so that can also prevent you from going. And then when you're in, in a depression, you, you can't face anything. So you can't, it seems way too much work to pick up the phone and call the doctor. And that's not talking about actually going to the doctor. Uh, and again, like, in your example with cancer, you're afraid of what you'll be told because you know there's something wrong. 
you know it uh, inside yourself, but you don't really want to admit it or get to know how bad it is. Yeah. Now, what are some things that people can say to be encouraging, right? So if I've got a friend who I believe it, it seems like they're struggling with this, what can I say? What can I do to, to help that person that isn't me just carrying them and, you know, picking them up and put them on my shoulder and walking to the doctor? Like, what are some things that I can do to kind of encourage them to start traveling down that road to get help and to go see someone who can actually make a diagnosis? Yeah, the people who have helped me have been people very close to me. I think it would be much harder for someone who don't know me very well to do it. It, it would depend on how close you are to the person, how open you are with the person. Is it a person you can, uh, you can talk about emotions and problems with? Or is it someone uh, you've played uh, football with a couple of times? So I think it depends a lot on your relationship, what you can say to that person. So we'll, let's assume that it is a, someone who, with whom you can talk about problems and emotions. Then you would probably have to talk them through one of the episodes. Get, if possible, get them to explain how they felt, whether they would like that to be better. Try to, you could take out, uh, even on the net, you can find lots of tests for uh, depression and bipolarity. Walk them through one of those. I know to me, it, because, it might sound silly, but it became more real once I ran through a test with the, with the doctor. And uh, I could hear from my own answers, this is really bad. And I could see the result that says, this is really bad. Um, so I think that might be an approach uh, to sit down with, with one of these tests, tests together with your friend and also try to make them express their emotions during one of the bad episodes. Yeah, that's really good advice. And this is something I see a lot online is when maybe someone's going through something and then some kind of random person that they, you know, you're not even really friends with, you're kind of acquainted with, or maybe you went to high school with a million years ago, and then they want to diagnose you you know they want to tell you all these things or they try to quote unquote educate you about something and it's like okay we don't we don't have that kind of relationship like who are you and so i feel like having a relationship with somebody um you know, on some kind of deeper level goes a long way and if you don't have that then it's probably not gonna come from you the best it's probably better to maybe reach out to some friends or some close family members or loved ones and say, hey, have you talked to this person about it? I'm, I'm worried. I'm concerned. This is kind of what I'm seeing. It's not going to go over well coming from me because who am I? And so I, I think that's something just to kind of, kind of be aware of when, when you don't have a relationship with somebody and you don't really know, but you're trying to diagnose them from the outside looking in, uh, I think it can go really, really poorly. And so, yeah, coming from someone you know, you care about, you love, you trust, and trust is probably the main thing. Uh, that goes a, a lot further. That's a really good idea. Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about game design and talk about how designing board games and designing solo modes and, and the Automa Factory and all that kind of stuff has helped you cope with the bipolarity. Tell me kind of your experience in general, any, any stories, anything that uh, you think would help other people maybe struggle with this and maybe if even not even struggling with it fully, you know, maybe it's kind of a, a lesser version of what you're, what you've been struggling with, but how has game design helped you and how can it help other people? Game design can keep me happy, <laughs> so to speak. Um, it's 
it's fun, of course, which is always a good thing for your mood. But it also, it can occupy my mind when it would otherwise think some really nasty stuff. It can make me feel that I'm capable of doing something good, even when my brain is telling me that I'm the worst person in the world. And the the messages and emails, accolades I've gotten from from my work have uh, have helped me a lot, because when when my depression really tells me how awful I am, then I can at least counter with, well, I brought joy to a lot of people with the, the game design I did. So if you can get it out into the world, I think that can help you indirectly. Yeah, with your with your self esteem and with putting a smile on your face in a in a bad time, but uh, just the process in itself can be rewarding and can yeah keep me occupied. I can when I I do game design, I can sit on my own, which is what I want when I'm depressed. But at the same time, I don't need to confront the depression as much because my mind is uh, is working on something else. And uh, game design is good as occupying the mind. If you're interested in game design and have dabbled in it, you probably know the feeling of your brain just racing ahead with all the ideas you have. And if you do that, there's very little room for depression. Yeah, that's a great point. And honestly, it's one of my favorite aspects of game design is that it's it's a problem to be solved. You know, it's not like other creative outlets where you're, you're writing or you're painting or something like that. It's it's different. There's There's... It's a whole different element to it because it, it has problems, it has challenges that you have to figure out the answers to. It's not just writing a story or, or drawing something that looks beautiful. There's almost like an engineering aspect to it. There, there's a problem to be solved. And so that helps yeah. with distracting your brain. Would you say that distraction is, is a big part of kind of coping and dealing with this? You, you know, game designer or anything else, it's just kind of distracting your brain with other things? Yes, distraction is one of the best tools and the the podcasting while going for a walk. This is one of the examples, right, that really works for me. And playing board games to a certain extent, simple board games. I talk about the therapeutic uh, sweet spot for for board games. They need to be simple enough that you can get them to the table even when you're in a depression. And uh, they need to be uh, crunchy enough that they fill your mind leaving no room for the depression but not so crunchy that you just uh, you can't manage it because when you're in a depression you're not quite as smart as you normally are um so uh, so such games are really useful to me and i can mention onirim otillion sunset over water ganshin clever uh, arcanoir are games i can all recommend for uh, for this purpose they have helped me a ton. Yeah, now a lot of those are solo games. Is that also playing this? Yes, I play in the solo games. For uh, multiplayer gaming can also be helpful. Um, it's it's in another way because human contact is in general good for a lot of stuff. But when you're in a depression, you have a hard time reaching out to other people, have a hard time talking to other people, um, just being near other people, um, social interactions are, are hard. But if you're playing a board game, 
you can be with other people without being required to do as much small talking because you are you are around a game the focus of being together is the game so if you don't want to talk you can just focus on the game play the game if you want to talk to uh, some of the others well you know that they're interested in board games and you know that they're playing game x with you right now so you have something to talk about which to me when i'm depressed it can be very hard to find figure out how to talk to other people um, but multiplayer gaming fixes that for you because of the presence of the game and you're not you don't feel awkward if you don't talk as much as as you would in a, at a party for example or at dinner yeah and how would you say the pandemic has affected all of this oh yeah well it's a it's a double-edged sword on one hand you don't need to get out into tough social situations as much so i know when i'm at a social gathering with a lot of people and i'm depressed it's hell so uh COVID has uh, fixed that issue for me. But on the other hand, human contact is good. You need some human contact. So uh, it can make depression worse. And if you don't need to go out the house, well, that feeds the depression also. Then you could just even more sit in your corner and, and feel bad for yourself. And, and if you live with someone, I know I, I live with my wife and son and I love both of them very dearly but being locked down and not being able to just be modern that was really tough for the depression because I need time to myself when I'm depressed and that was very hard to do during the lockdowns um, so double-edged sword yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know it's something that a lot of people have been struggling with over these last 18 months. And um, yeah, hopefully hopefully some better times are ahead of us as things open up. And, and I, don't, I won't say go back to normal because normal is a, a little bit new. It's a new normal. But uh, <laughs> things get at least back closer to what they used to, used to be. Uh, going back to game design, are there any aspects of the game design process in particular that you find really helpful during tougher times as far as just designing you sit down with your notebook and, and writing out ideas and coming up with mechanisms or play testing and that, that helps a lot or prototyping cutting out cards things like that anything in particular or is it all is it all good is it all a good distraction or anything more specifically that you're like oh this is my favorite part there's a huge difference between the uh, different parts of the process the initial creative part if you can get into that then that's a big help for depression cutting out cards um, if you don't do anything else than cutting out cards then to me that's very dangerous uh, in my experience the worst thing I can do is give my brain my depression room to think because it just thinks bad, thinks bad things and it just amplifies and amplifies and amplifies itself um, if I don't put anything else into my head so uh, just cutting out cards and doing nothing else is a really bad idea. Cutting out cards and listening to a podcast, on the other hand, can work just fine. Um, 
when you go into the rulebook writing, then to me that also works. For other people, it might not. I, I love writing rulebooks, and I know I'm weird, but <laughs> I really love it for the first five or ten iterations. And then when you get to iteration 100, then it kills me and it bores me and it gives the depression room again because it no longer requires my full attention to write the rule book. So uh, when you get to that phase where you edit it again and again and again and you approve reading, at that point, uh, game design process can become a bit dangerous to me. And going over playtest data can in some cases be the same thing. Some of it will uh, will trigger you to you know, force you to be creative, and that can help. But a lot of it will it will just be reading through f- feedback, crunching the numbers, um, and a lot of that is is fairly easy. Some of it isn't, but a lot of it is easy, and then makes room for the depression in uh, in my mind. Gotcha. All right. So anything else? that relates to this conversation as far as game design? Anything else you found? Any other ways you would like to uh, encourage people as far as this conversation is concerned? Work in teams. As not, not as in Microsoft Teams, but <laughs> in a team of, of uh, multiple people. Um, and to me, that will be in, in a tool like Microsoft Teams, uh, hence the confusion. Um, but even when I work with solo modes, I never actually work alone. I always have a team of people that I work with, and they are all over the world. So it's uh, online, we communicate. But having a, a meeting every once in a while, I have a, a fixed Skype call with my, with my partner, David Studley, once a week something I need to do, I talk to another person, might not be in the same room uh, with me, but I still see his face, I still talk to him. That, that helps a bit when his game design can, in particular solo game design, can be a lonely task. So I strongly recommend getting someone to work with uh, if you do, do go into solo game design. Uh, and for many reasons, mental health, reasons just being one of them but uh, you can also use it to uh, to put a, a schedule in your life I'm not, that's probably not the right word but if you have scheduled that I need to work on this I need to work from 8 to 12 whatever each day um, then you need to get up to do that and you can sit down to just make a tiny little bit of progress to, uh, at the beginning. I think uh, it gave, you have been giving the example of if you want to work out, don't set the, the goal to be a thousand reps. Um, set the goal to be a, get in the door at the fitness, uh, at the fitness center. So uh, use the game design to set some very, very low goals. Um, and then if you're the per- type of person listening to this podcast, you're likely also the kind of person who just needs a little spark and then your your brain is running with ideas. Because one of the dangers of depression is if you're working with someone something you don't like, 
can't get figured out how to start on, then you'll just do nothing and just feel worse and worse. But if you can just set that little goal that will light a spark, then your creativity, your interest, your passion for game design is more likely to spark and get you and get you started into something that will feel good to you. Yeah, absolutely. And I found so much success personally in breaking things down to their smallest parts and then doing my best not to be overwhelmed by however big the project overall is. I don't think about that. I don't focus on the magnitude of running a Kickstarter campaign. I focus on, okay, today I need to do this one thing and it's going to take me about 15 to 20 minutes. And hopefully I'm going to get a little motivation, get a little energy after that. And it's going to turn into more, but if not, Hey, that's fine. It's still a successful day. And that's definitely something that has helped me as far as your own situation. You, you mentioned having meetings with your, your, your design partner and things like that. Do you find it really helpful to have those regularly scheduled events and then also like deadlines and things like that? Does those things really help kind of, even if you're yeah. in a funk, even if you're struggling, they kind of keep you going. Yes, definitely. They can, they can feel rough, but they're good for me. And uh, both friends and both friends, design partners and deadlines can, uh, can help to a certain extent. Deadlines can also be a killer if you have too many of them, if they're too tight. Gotcha. And I think that's maybe something else people uh, can do is figuring out, okay, can I create some regular events that I can count on that's going to be same day, same time every week, and then also creating deadlines. And they might have to be made up. You know, you might have to kind of get creative, especially if you're just working on your own and you're not having to worry about publisher deadlines or Kickstarter or anything like that. You're just trying to create your own uh, deadlines. You might have to, to do that. Or maybe find someone that can help you. And, and um, one thing I saw in the business world was uh, this guy was running a, a, an entrepreneur like course and part of it was, I think you bought the course for 500 bucks and then you had to give him $500. And it was like a, almost like a deposit kind of thing. And so you paid a grand up front. And if you started your business within three months of when you started, um, then he would give you the $500 back. And so it was this literal like monetary incentive to get your crap together and get that business started within three months. Because if not, then it's going to cost you, you're going to lose that $500. And I thought that was really interesting because if you don't have a deadline specifically, if there's no one looking over your shoulder, if you don't have a supervisor, you're not reporting to somebody, then it can be kind of hard to create these made up deadlines. And I thought that was a kind of an interesting way to do it. And I'm sure there's other creative ways uh, out there that, that people can, can come up with. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think deadlines are, are super helpful no matter what you're, you're doing. Yeah, I agree. Well, Morton, this has been excellent. Any, anything else? Closing thoughts. Like what would you tell somebody? Maybe they're listening to this. Maybe they're thinking, okay, this, this might be me. Uh, I'm struggling with these things. What do I do? How do I cope? What do I, you know, where do I go from here? What would you tell them? Yeah, well, it's the, the best as wise is get help. And you probably, there's a good chance you are not able to call the doctor on your own. So find the person you're most comfortable with and talk to them, maybe have them dial up and then hand you the, the phone, dial up to your doctor and then give you the phone. So you just, so you're forced to, uh, to actually talk. Um, I know it was super hard for me to, uh, to make the call first to a psychologist and later to the doctor and psychiatrist, psychiatrist. That that's, that's just so much the most important thing to, uh, to do this, get help. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Morton, where can uh, people find you online? 
Yeah, well, I, I have my blog on BoardGameGeek, Thematic Solitaires for the Spare Time Challenged. It's a, a mouthful, but uh, that's the name of it. And you can find me as Morton MDK on BoardGameGeek. That's my username, Morton MDK. You can find me there, send me a geek mail. I think that's uh, the easiest way to find me. You can also find me on atomafactory.com, but uh, that's a very boring pa- page with nothing on it. So just <laughs> use Board Game Geek. Awesome. Well, Morton, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your openness and willingness to share about a, a tough a tough topic that uh, is something very personal. And, and again, really appreciate you opening up about it. And so good luck with continuing to deal with this uh to deal with this day by day and uh, all the really cool solo games and other things that you got going on right now. Yes. Thank you very much for, for having me. As I said, uh, in the beginning, I'm very happy for the platform you're offering me to, uh, to talk about this. It's yeah, this is a topic that's very important to me to spread the awareness and hopefully help other people who suffer. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is something that just needs more conversation around it. We need to eliminate the stigma that goes along with mental health issues and, and it just needs to become something that we talk about, that we stop uh, pretending like it doesn't exist. Kind of like my family member that, you know, didn't want to go to the doctor because he didn't want to find out the truth, you know, and, and so much of our society is, is like that. We don't want to talk about it because then it's real and it, you know, it's just kind of how we are, but just cause you don't talk about it doesn't mean it's any less real. And if <laughs> once we're honest about that, I, I think we can start being honest about other things and uh, hopefully more people will you know, have this conversation. Yeah. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?